Well, good morning. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Christmas, safe and well, and a happy new year. I'm getting a, a notice from the back to straighten myself up. Okay, how do I look now? <laughs> Thumbs up. Oh, we just want to again thank you for choosing to worship with us this morning. It is great um, to be able to gather together, even under these circumstances of social distancing and masking, and um, to be able to worship, as Kristen mentioned earlier, virtually, to have the um, technology to be able to do that, and to, to know that we are together, that where two or more gather, Christ is there. Emmanuel, God is with us as we gather in this space and at this time. I... Um, I, uh, you know, when, when I think about Emmanuel, Epiphany, I'm getting confused, um, too many E words, um, but I, in Epiphany, which is actually on Wednesday, January the 6th, um, we celebrate it on the closest Sunday, so that is today, on January the 3rd, but on, on Epiphany, we're also celebrating the first Sunday of the year, of this new year, which we've all been just looking forward to, Right? And so as I thought about the new year and all the new things and the old things, I, I, I began to, to think about and reflect um, on 2020. And I, and I thought, you know, when 2020 was arriving, I was so excited. I had so much hope for 2020. I had these ideas and these plans and these thoughts about 2020 was such a great symbol for us to use as a church, think about it, 20, the vision of 2020 in the church. How amazing would that be to play off of for 12 months? Well, we got two and a half in. And then March landed square on top of us. And so by the end of the third month, the newness of 2020 was worn off. And by the sixth month, we were all done with 2020. And for the remainder of the year... All we have done is look forward to 2021, and here we are. Just imagine all the great things that are going to happen, all the newness, all the normalcy will be returned, and here we are. January the 3rd, 2021, we still have every other peer roped off. We're still social distancing. We're still wearing masks. We're still not singing as a congregation. We're still having as many, on, many more on virtual than we are in person worship. Things haven't changed. But we have the promise. And we have the hope that in 2021, things are going to change. And that's going to be great. And so that's kind of what we're thinking about as we, as we, look, at, as we look at Epiphany, as we begin to think about Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, that very familiar story of the Magi, those strangers, those travelers from the east who make their way to Jerusalem. What were they looking for? Why were they there? What did they want to do when they arrived? What all was exactly happening? What new things did they want to see? What normal things did they want to approach? And so I invite us to think about 2020. Reflect on what you're... If you were to, to put together a list of things that you'd never want to see again that 2020 brought, what would that look like? Now, I, I, I took the privilege of, of putting together a very short list 
of 2020 things that I, I want to leave behind. I want to have in my rear view mirror never to have to cross again. The first one is, of course, the pandemic. I don't ever want to see the pandemic again. I hope it's at least another 118 years before we ever have to do this again. I, I'm glad to leave the election cycle behind. I'm, I'm glad that's behind me. Now, there's another one coming, but this one's behind us. And the lockdowns and the shutdowns. I'm so glad that 2021 is here. We can look forward to a day. We don't have the, this, this vocabulary of lockdowns and shutdowns and stay at home and safe at home. All of that new vocabulary we had to learn in the face of a pandemic. I'm, I'm glad that's in our rearview mirror. We'll be in our rearview mirror. I, I'm looking forward to the time when social distancing we, is behind us. That those six feet um, measuring yards are, are, are behind us. I'm tired of seeing them in publics and at the stores and having pews roped off and having people separated. I, I don't know about you, but I'm just tired of it. I'm, I'm very much an introvert, a strong introvert. I gain energy. My, my batteries are refueled by being alone, having that downtime. But I'll tell you, this is a lot of downtime. My cup overfloweth. I'm tired of face masks. I want to see people talk. I want to watch people smile and laugh. I, I want to be able to read your... Well, I can't really read lips. But I want to see you talk. Time's coming. The promise is there. I'm really tired of shortages of Lysol and hand sanitizer and toilet paper. And I'm very tired. I'm exhausted from the COVID statistics. Every night, every day, we get reports on how many new cases, how many hospitalizations, and how many deaths have occurred in the course of a day. I'm exhausted. We're all exhausted. I'm tired of not being able to travel and be with a family who lives far away, to have that intimate time together. The, the holidays have just made that so apparent and so powerful, how important that time is. And 2020 has had a way of taking that away from many of us. I'm tired of it. You're tired of it. We're all tired. And so as I think about 2021 coming, this new year, January's here, what am I looking forward to? What are the things you're looking forward to in 2021? Well, I want a new beginning. I would love to be able to flip the switch and have all that stuff go away and everything return to normal and better. Or at least something different. I'm looking for the, that return to in-person worship. I'm looking at... I'm looking forward to that time when the congregation can sing together without its mask on. We can hear one another. We can see one another sing. That's a, that's a great day we're looking forward to. I'm looking forward to the time we can shake hands and not just elbows and distant high fives. When we can hug. I've always been a hugger. I like to hug. I'm looking forward to that time. I'm looking forward to eating in restaurants. Not just getting to-go boxes or takeout or delivery. I'm looking forward to spending time with people face-to-face -face in their homes where they work, here in the church, on the street. 
looking forward to sporting events that have real people there. Crowds that you can actually hear. I thought I wanted to hear what the coaches say to the players, but after this year, I don't want to hear what they have to say anymore. I can guess what they're saying. I'm looking forward to the time we can have you know, entertainment again. Go to venues to see bands and concerts and just some kind of entertainment when we can sit together and laugh and smile together to enjoy time together. And of course I'm looking to the time when we can travel easily without fear to see friends and family who live some distance away. The time is coming. That's the beauty of the change in the year. It, it's not a switch that we flip. It's something we, we embrace with a promise and a hope. And that's what Epiphany brings to us. You know, the history of Epiphany is really quite interesting. When I was getting ready for this sermon, I did a little research on Epiphany. And, you know, Epiphany, we think of it as like that aha moment. Oh, I had an Epiphany. The light bulb went off, and I understand now. The things clicked. But for the church and for our faith, Epiphany is the manifestation of God in human history, in our presence. So as Matthew introduces this idea, or reintroduces the idea from Isaiah about Emmanuel, God with us, he, we bring, he brings, Matthew brings with him Epiphany, God with us in our very space, in our very time, in human history. This presence, this manifestation of the divine. What a powerful, powerful event. The whole idea that the, the creator of all things that we can see and not see, the creator of everything we know and don't know, has manifested himself in our midst, among us, with us, and for us. That is powerful. And over the centuries, the Western church has kind of lost sight of the importance of Epiphany. Epiphany has been around for a long time, longer than our celebration of Christmas. The Eastern church, the early church, began celebrating Epiphany in the mid-200s, the mid-3rd century. It was much later that the Western church began to celebrate uh, Christmas. Now, Epiphany, as they celebrated it uh, way back when, was about, it was about the nativity, the birth of Christ. It was also about Christ's baptism, and it was about the visit of the Magi. All this was wrapped up in a feast day. Because in these three things, God has manifest, revealed Himself manifest among us, with us, and for us. It's a new thing. It's a powerful new thing. But as we think about this new thing, think about this baby arriving in the world as a newborn king. What changed? How did the world change because God was present in it? Because God was among us, for us, and with us in human time and space. What changed was hope and the promise. The promise had been fulfilled. But it wasn't a switch that was flipped. And everything changed for the better. The story we find in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, 
kind of lay that out for us? You know, as we prepare to hear this uh, passage read, I, I invite us to consider a few questions. Have these kind of questions, you know, kind of rolling around in your mind. Um, what happened in the gospel story to this point? So when you read chapter 1 of Matthew, we find the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the lineage of Christ. We also find the birth narrative as Matthew tells it from the perspective of Joseph. Remember Joseph, he wanted to dismiss Mary without shame, so he wanted to dismiss her quietly to not bring shame to her and her family because she was pregnant. And he knew the child wasn't his. But it was in a dream that God spoke to him through an angel and said, this is the work of God. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Embrace this child as your own. This son you will name Emmanuel, God with us. You know, Joseph thought he had faced the worst thing he could face. And then when the birth of his son, the best thing in the world happened. In chapter 2, we have this episode with the strangers, these travelers, these magi. And as we think about their episode with Jesus, this newborn child, what change comes? What does Matthew as a storyteller have? Why does he have these strangers from the east enter the storyline bearing gifts? What's the point? Why do they vanish at the end of this episode? Never to be heard from again. And what do they add to the story that Matthew is weaving for us? What does Herod add to this story and finally who do we identify with in this story so with these questions rolling around I invite us now to close your eyes and get comfortable and just hear the story that Matthew tells in the time of King Herod after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. 
When they heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Now this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, this is a very familiar story. It's familiar on our fireplace mantles, dressers, chests, and tables in our homes. When we have nativity scenes set up and the wise men are there. It's interesting, when I was doing research for this, I I found out that a lot of scholars think that the wise men were following, they were from the east, probably from Persia, and they were either astrologers or priests, considered wise men of their day, and they were stargazers. They They took their cues from the stars. And this new sign in the sky that they saw, this new light, Uh, Many scholars think it was the alignment of Saturn and Jupiter, which we were able to see very recently. This new bright spot in the sky. And the reason they think that is around the year 7 CE of the Common Era, there was an alignment of these two planets. And Jupiter was seen as um, a, a planet, a sign of kings. And Saturn was seen as a sign of the Hebrews. And so the alignment of these two stars for the scholars meant that there's a new king rising of the Hebrews. And so some scholars think that's what they were following. You know, who's to say? But the point here is that these men took their cues from the sky. The stars. And God used what they used to lead them to the epiphany, to this Christ child, the Messiah, Savior of the world, the King of kings. And when they arrived in Jerusalem, which would be the logical place for them to arrive, this was the uh, religious and political uh, seat of of, of, of Judea, of the Israelites. When they arrived, they went to the court of Herod and inquired about where the Messiah, where is this king to be born? Assuming it would be in Jerusalem. So when Herod hears about their inquiry, he becomes disturbed, afraid. He wasn't aware, he wasn't knowledgeable enough of the scriptures. And so he calls his scribes, he calls the priests, and ask them, where is this supposed to take place? What exactly are these travelers, these strangers, talking about? Well, they, these scribes and priests knew the scriptures. They knew the prophecy about the Messiah being born of the house of David in the city of David in Bethlehem. So they relay word to Herod, and Herod relays word to the to the Magi, with the hope that they would go and find 
the baby and tell Herod so that he too may go pay homage. Not the homage that the wise men were going to pay. A very different, a very different response by Herod. We're told that Herod was, was afraid, which makes sense. And all of Jerusalem with him was afraid, which makes sense when you know the history of Herod. Herod was mad. Mad with jealousy, afraid of, 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 of threats, of taking his power, his reign, to the point he would kill family members. He was a vicious, vicious ruler. And so when he tells them, when you find him, let me know. I want to do the same. Likewise, they go, having word now of where the, this birth was to take place. And they follow the star again to the place where Jesus and his parents his, and Mary are. And they, they walk in and they find Mary and this baby. And they kneel down and they pay homage. They, they're in awe and obediently they fall down and, and glorify and praise the Messiah. Meanwhile, Herod is waiting. He's awaiting word so that he can take out his wrath, settle his fear, resolve the threat to his throne, to his court, to his lineage. And in a dream, the wise men are told, don't tell Herod. Don't even return to Jerusalem. Go home another way. And that's what they did. And in this account, we see three valuable lessons. One is when, when Jesus enters the world, a new thing is happening. It's not a flip of the switch. The threat is still there. Fear is still there. People are still afraid. Violence is still very much prevalent in the world. But there's a promise and there's a hope that's being fulfilled. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes a full life. It'll take Jesus' full life. And we can see the reactions, the responses, and the receptions of Jesus being played out in this early, early story of the Epiphany. As Herod and his court reject the newborn king, reject Jesus, just as the Roman leaders will reject Jesus in his adulthood, as the Jewish leaders will reject Jesus in his adulthood and have him crucified. This story sets up the whole line, the whole plot of Matthew's gospel, of Jesus' life, of being seen as a threat to the power structures. At the same time, to those who receive Jesus as, the, as Emmanuel, as the Messiah, we see another response, another reception where people kneel down and offer all that they have, all, gifts fit for a king. So what about that question? Why, why do they vanish? Where do they go? It's an interesting thing. They, they, they show us what it looks like to be obedient in the face of Emmanuel, in the face of the Epiphany. To kneel down, to be in awe, to be obedient, to be faithful, to give what we have, 
But then something is missing. They are missing. They give these gifts and they disappear. I think there's a story. I think there's a lesson there for us. And I want you to think about that as you return home today. What does it mean to offer gifts but not offer our whole being? What does it mean to not be willing to live life with Jesus knowing that death is the future? There's a wonderful little story that Frederick Beekner wrote. And I want to share that with you as I close. It kind of helps me put a handle on that question. Beware of beautiful strangers, said one of the Magi astrologers, the wise men. And on Friday, avoid travel by water. The sun is moving into the house of Venus, so affairs of the heart will prosper. We said this to Herod, or something along those lines, and of course it meant next to nothing. To have told him anything of real value, we would have had to spend weeks of study, months calculating the conjunction of the planets at the precise moment of his birth, and at the births of his parents and their parents back to the fourth generation. But Herod knew nothing of this, and he jumped at the nonsense we threw him like a hungry dog and thanked us for it. A lost man, you see, even though he was a king. Neither really a Jew nor really a Roman. He was at home nowhere. And he believed in nothing. Neither Olympian Zeus nor the Holy One of Israel. Who cannot be named. So he was ready to jump at anything and he swallowed our little jingle whole. But it could hardly have been more obvious that jingles were the least of what he wanted from us. Go and find me the child, the king told us. And as he spoke, his fingers trembled so that emeralds rattled together like teeth. Because I want to come and worship him, he said. And when he said that, his hands were still as death. Death. I ask you, does a man need the stars to tell him that no king has ever yet bowed down to another king? He took us for children, that sly, lost old fox. And so it was like children that we answered him. Yes, of course, we said, and we went on our way. His hands fluttered to his throat like moths. Why did we travel so far to be there when it happened? Why was it not enough just to know the secret without having to be there ourselves to behold it? To this, not even the stars had an answer. The stars said simply that he would be born. It was another voice altogether that said, Go. A voice as deep within ourselves as the stars are deep within the sky. But why did we go? I could not tell you now, and I could not have told you then. Not even as we were in the very process of going. Not that we had no motive, but that we had so many. Curiosity, I suppose. To be wise is to be eternally curious, and we were very wise. We wanted to see for ourselves this one before whom even the stars are said to bow down, to see perhaps if it was really true, because even the wise have their doubts and longing. Longing.
Why will a man who is dying of thirst crawl miles across sands as hot as fire at simply the possibility of water? But if we long to receive, we longed also to give. Why will a man labor and struggle all the days of his life so that in the end he has something to give the one he loves? So finally, we got to the place where the star pointed us. It was at night, very cold. The innkeeper showed us the way that, that we did not need to be shown. A harebrained, busy man. The odor of hay was sweet and the cattle's breath came out in little puffs of mist. The man and the woman, between them the king. We did not stay long, only a few minutes as the clock goes, 10,000, thousand years. We set our foolish gifts down on the straw and left. I will tell you two terrible things. What we saw on the face of the newborn child was his death. A fool could have seen it as well. It sat on his head like a crown or a, a bat, this death that he would die. And we saw as sure as the earth beneath our feet that to stay with him would be to share that death. And that is why we left, giving only our gifts, withholding the rest. And now, brothers, I will ask you a terrible question. And God knows I ask it also of myself. Is the truth beyond all truths, beyond the stars, just this? That to live without Him is the real death. That to die with Him is the only life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us stand as you are able to affirm our faith together with the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Well, we want to thank you once again for being here for worship today. If you have any questions about the church or Epiphany or anything that was said, please feel free to contact the church office. And we hope that you'll make reservations to come and be back here in person or virtually next Sunday. So receive now this benediction. May you go from this time and this space knowing that God is Emmanuel with us. May we worship this newborn king with all that we are and all that we have. Go in peace. Amen. <laughs>